Hello and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan with the Hindu in Chennai, your host for today. Two senior Indian officials traveled to Nepal and Sri Lanka last week, part of India's ongoing efforts to repair relations in the neighborhood. In Nepal, Foreign Secretary Harsh Shringla said India and Nepal need each other, speaking following his meeting with Prime Minister Oli, who said both sides needed to resolve the border disputes for the sake of future generations. In Sri Lanka, NSA Ajit Doval discussed key bilateral issues, including Indian investments in regional security with President Kotabaya Rajapaksha. How successful have India's efforts been to repair recently difficult relations in the neighborhood, and how is India dealing with China's ever-growing presence, especially in the wake of the pandemic? Joining us today are National Editor and Diplomatic Affairs Editor Suasani Haider and the Hindu's correspondent in Colombo, Meera Srinivasan. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Anand. Thank you. Meera, if I can come to you first, we've just seen uh, the visit of NSA Doval, can you brief us on what were the main takeaways uh, from the visit? Sure. The stated purpose of the visit was that uh, India would revive the trilateral talks with the Maldives and Sri Lanka on maritime cooperation. The last one happened in 2014, but the countries couldn't take forward the discussion because of various reasons. So uh, one of the principal uh, objectives of the visit was to revive that. So we had the Maldivian Defence Minister Maria Didi also travelling in to Colombo and the Sri Lankan side, of course. So on the sidelines of this, uh, Ajit Doval, the NSA, also had uh, uh, bilateral discussions with both the Maldives and Sri Lanka. And the t- takeaways would really be that with the Maldives, it's significant because the Maldives recently signed a defence deal with the US and then a deal with Japan to strengthen its coast guard so and then had this meeting with India that's three of four quad members interestingly and uh, of course with Sri Lanka it was a series of bilateral discussions where uh, economic development and partnership uh, seems to have been the focus and uh, uh, a press release from the president's office said they agreed to expedite ongoing infrastructure projects which could be construed as Uh, potentially good news for India that's been wanting to um, start developing the East Container Terminal at the Colombo port with Japan and uh, Sri Lanka. So uh, overall, it seems to have come at an interesting time also because we know, uh, you know, Mike Pompeo was here just last month, I mean, in October. And just before that, we had a very uh, senior Chinese delegation here. So there's a lot of activity in Colombo. And in that sense, I think uh, the NSA's visit Uh, drew a lot of attention. We'll come to the Maldives in a moment. As you said, it's quite interesting that they've been doing things with, uh, as you said, three of the four Quad members. But Meera, if I could also ask you, you did report that on the last day he did meet with the Sri Lankan Tamil leader, R. Sambandhan. So what was the story there? So that was interesting because from all that we had picked up officially, this meeting was not scheduled initially. And it seems that the NSA actually extended his trip a little bit and also accommodated this uh, meeting on the morning of his departure. We don't know too much about the actual content of the conversation, but it's significant because the last major meeting that Sri Lanka and India had were 
uh, had uh, Prime Minister Modi speak with uh, Prime Minister Rajapaksa. It was a virtual summit in September, at which time uh, PM Modi had also uh, emphasized the need uh, to look into Tamil aspirations and concerns and implement the 13th Amendment and build on that. So in that light, I think this meeting assumes significance because we didn't hear of uh, the NSA meeting, say, the leader of opposition or any other political leader. So he met the Sri Lankan president, the Sri Lankan prime minister, the secretary to the defense ministry and the Tamil leader. So that was quite significant. Swasni, do you see a, a broader sort of pattern in India's diplomatic activity of late, uh, looking at the NSA's visit? And of course, we had, I think, three visits, if I'm not uh, wrong, to Nepal uh, from the army chief. You had the RNAW chief and Foreign Secretary Shringla as well. Uh, so what's your sense of what uh, is the thinking in Delhi in terms of the neighborhood at the moment? Well, I think the idea with the, the Modi government right now and the neighborhood is to not let the grass grow under their feet. Because over the last mm -hmm. few years, uh, they've they've uh, gone through ups and downs with the neighbors. And it's one thing to say all relations in the neighborhood will always be fraught with some tension or the other. But look at some of the uh, kind of tensions we've seen. Uh, in Bangladesh, for example, the upset over the CAA led to the cancellation of Bangladeshi ministers, four ministers who was meant to come to India, did not come uh, over, you know, the last, in December, January last year, upset about the Citizenship Amendment Act and its reaction, you know, the reactions in Bangladesh to it. There were protests, uh, particularly in the run-up to what was meant to be Prime Minister Modi's visit there, which couldn't be held because of the coronavirus. Uh, you've got a, a situation with Nepal that grew out of nowhere, really, when it comes to the map dispute that Nepal didn't just pass a disputed map in its uh, put it in its constitution. It's now part of its national symbol. So actually, every official document that comes out of the Nepali government now has this disputed map on it. So you saw these problems come out of nowhere. And India's response was perhaps hampered a little bit by the coronavirus pandemic. And I think what you're seeing is a very, very decided diplomacy drive. And you mentioned the, the visit of the, uh, the, the NSA to Sri Lanka, the three uh, officials who went to Nepal. We understand there's going to be a more senior meeting uh, as well expected with Nepal. Uh, the external affairs minister held a virtual conference with the Bangladesh foreign minister. Prime Minister Modi spoke to Prime Minister Rajapaksa. Uh, the foreign secretary didn't just, uh, has also been to Myanmar. He's also been to the Maldives. So what we're seeing is a real diplomacy drive in the neighborhood to ensure that everyone's on the same page, to ensure that there aren't any nasty surprises around the corner. But, and we can talk about this, the history of India's neighborhood policy has not been so much about how many big visits there are, but about ensuring that the in-between period is also taken care of. Spaces don't develop. And as Mira said, you know, we saw this, High-level Chinese delegation there. We saw the Chinese defense minister in Kathmandu, which is also quite rare. Uh, just a few days after the foreign secretary, uh, the Chinese uh, government has held uh, special meetings for South Asian countries, something we've never seen before. A special meeting right. on COVID, which included Afghanistan, Nepal, Pakistan. Then another one that included um, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, uh, Nepal. Uh, and Pakistan as well. So um, so India is uh, trying to keep up with what's happening. And as I said, just ensuring that there are no nasty surprises around the corner. Uh, we will come to the China factor in a moment. But uh, Suhasini, I'd like to 
Uh, I'll get Meera to weigh in on this with Sri Lanka as well. But if we look at the spectrum of our relationships in the neighborhood, from Bhutan on the one hand to Pakistan on the other, uh, where would you place Nepal at the moment? Is it is it drifting down that spectrum? Uh, you mentioned that there are a lot of uh, new issues. Even though we've had these three big visits, they haven't really been resolved, have they? Is it just a, a, an attempt to kind of paper over, the, over them for the moment? You know, it actually begs the question, Anand, is the Modi government now changing? It's, is it reworking how it uh, appears to the neighborhood? Um, because uh, in the Nepal case, for example, what Nepal has done is unprecedented to have a, within the period of a month um, taken a dispute with India, which was being discussed, or at least there were plans for discussions on that dispute over the Kalapani area, the Sista and the others. Um, and essentially escalated that into a full-blown crisis between the two countries. There were no talks uh, between them for, for months. And um, uh, there was a real question of this, whether this was going to, in fact, become bigger than perhaps what we'd seen a few years ago with the blockade between the two countries. The fact that Foreign Secretary Harsh Shringla decided to go to Kathmandu uh, would suggest that there is a rethink in that very tough posture India had taken. Uh, and essentially, we did speak to MEA officials. We did ask them, what does this mean? Are you putting aside the map dispute? Because if you remember in May, the MEA had come out with very tough statements. They had said that, uh, you know, it is for Nepal to create a conducive atmosphere for talks. With this map dispute, it looks very difficult uh, for, uh, uh, for, uh, for that kind of atmosphere to be created. Uh, and India had just, you know, shut down a lot of the channels of communication. But now we're seeing that the foreign secretary has actually gone there, uh, although they said that technically they weren't doing holding uh, talks on the border dispute. But it did come up in the conversation between them. So it would seem that India is taking a slightly softer position when it comes to uh, Nepal. And that's why the foreign secretary's visit was important. It was preceded, as you said, by the army chief going. Why is that important? Because India's army chief has always conferred uh, um, uh, a title by the Nepali army as well and by the Nepali president. This is something that had been put off ostensibly because of the coronavirus pandemic, but also because of the tensions uh, between the two countries. And so we've seen that happen now. He did go there. They had his full ceremonial honors. We saw the RNAW chief go there, although obviously these visits never come with any public statements, but it's significant that he held talks with Prime Minister Oli. And now we have the foreign secretary go there uh, and, uh, and, of course, go on a bit of a charm offensive, uh, if you like, Anand, uh, speaking Nepali there. His, uh, right. um, he, he, he definitely made a mark there uh, with his public speech as well, which really reached out to young Nepalis who feel particularly disaffected by the way uh, India-Nepal relations have been going and also feel the attraction of a big, uh, another big power in the region. So uh, I think that's what the Foreign Secretary's visit really uh, uh, signifies. So Asani, you, uh, is it going to be difficult for India to sustain this? Do you see this as just a part of a pattern that we've seen over the last few years where you have a crisis then an attempt to repair it, then you have the next crisis. So how would you sort of assess this, uh, the, the current activity we've seen? Is it just going to be part of this pattern? And what should India do to try and make sure that this is going to be consistent, sustainable, uh, and not sort of regress to this uh, pattern that we've seen of late? 
Well, you know, Anand, this has always been a question. Uh, India and its neighborhood have never been at complete peace or complete uh, uh, harmony with every, mm. even if you don't count the very, very fractious India-Pakistan relationship, there have always been issues. One of them is related to the fact that India is so much larger than its neighbors, that it's not just big brother, it's big, big brother in the neighborhood. Uh, and there's always going to be a little bit of friction from the smaller countries that feel worried about, uh, uh, you know, India being there. There's also the Chanakya uh, philosophy, you know, that your big neighbor is often your adversary, but his big neighbor is often your friend. Um, right. And uh, that's, that's actually how it seems to have played out. Because if you weren't to look at the, 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 the completely, you know, un, irreplaceable, strong cultural ties between India and each of its neighbors, the fact that we speak the same languages, the fact that we have the same ethos, uh, traditions, food, uh, culture, uh, uh, even humor is shared in the subcontinent. If you weren't to look at all of those things, look at all that China has been able to do. Uh, and it's not to say that China is the only other big re uh, country in the region. But um, in the last six years, uh, if you were to look at just some of the secular trends, uh, for example, trade, uh, until 2014, India actually outflanked China on a lot of these trends, whether it was investment, FDI, uh, whether it was trade, uh, things like tourist arrival numbers, uh, how many South Asian students are in their foreign student population. Uh, each of those, you know, there have now been studies on each of these, uh, each of these trends. And what it seems to be is that China has quietly made inroads in the region. So the first thing that uh, what you were asking about, the first thing that India has to deal with is the idea that the past is no longer the present. Uh, there is another big player in the region who is not really very sensitive to India's concerns. Then there are the other players in the region like the US, the UK, other countries that are uh, dealing now and, and trying to build infrastructure, Japan and all the rest of that, which India doesn't see as a challenge at present. Uh, but if the space gets crowded out for India's primacy, for India's leadership in the region, that's going to be a matter of concern. And the last challenge, I think, is, is, is a philosophical one that India has to consider uh, is, uh, is that what is India's, um, you know, what is the position of India's neighborhood for India's growth? Um, so, so far, it has seemed as if India uh, grows despite its South Asian concerns, you know, as in it, it, it jumps out of the region and reaches out to the world is on this, uh, on this idea of, uh, you know, Asian ambitions, global ambitions. But when it comes to South Asia itself, India has, let's be honest, failed to build a collective. The SARC experiment seems to be going nowhere. This government has made it clear it wants to have really no part of SARC. Um, and, and therefore, that is really the, the driving question. Does India want a, a neighborhood which is its force multiplier, which it is so engaged with that it can, you know, it can only grow when the neighborhood grows and vice versa? Or are we going to see this kind of uh, system continue where India is essentially keeping its neighbors happy or as many of them as it can, but actually reaching out to a much larger scale in a, and, and, and a more global presence. Amira, is that a similar sort of perception in Sri Lanka as well? You had a very interesting story uh, earlier uh, in, in November on how Sri Lanka was looking at India staying out of the regional comprehensive economic partnership agreement. Suhasini just mentioned uh, the fact that India seems to be looking at its immediate neighborhood 
uh, as she put it, uh, growing despite it and not with it or because of it. Uh, is that something that uh, is a perception in Sri Lanka as well, which explains why, even if they are trying to keep relations with India stable, it is inevitable that they're turning more to China, especially on the economic front? Sure. I think one thing that uh, we have to keep in mind in Sri Lanka's case is the baggage that there is in terms of political history and so on with the civil war. But post-war, I mean, India has been one of Sri Lanka's uh, biggest development partners and that sort of engagement continues. But in terms of uh, sort of readiness, in terms of uh, the swiftness with which help flows in, I think within Sri Lanka, there's always concern that they are not heard enough. And uh, you pick up these signs from bureaucrats, from the political class. They won't say it very explicitly, but they do feel that India talks down in a lot of these interactions. And that, I think, has become more and more of a concern. And in contrast, they always say that when they engage with China, they feel treated like an equal partner, irrespective of the asymmetry of the size and uh, relations. So that that factor is there. And in terms of loans, we know that in February, when PM Mahindra Rajapaksa went to Delhi, one of the things he asked for was a loan moratorium, a debt freeze from India. So Sri Lanka owes about $960 million to India and had sought a moratorium, but I don't think they've heard back or they say that talks are going on. But um, the RBI, of course, sanctioned a currency swap for about $400 million. But the president, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, also sought an additional $1 billion currency swap, which still is, I think, in talks. So in contrast, if you look at China, Sri Lanka has obtained a $500 million loan in March for post uh, for pandemic recovery. And already sought another $700 million. That's over a billion this year alone. And uh, they've also sought uh, over $1 billion in currency swap facility with the People's Bank of China. So you often see that there's this contrasting in terms of speed, in terms of the mode uh, of transaction, of communication. So it seems to me that uh, there are more than, I mean, there is more than one reason for Sri Lanka to turn to China. It just seems easier, it seems faster. And that's a perception you seem to get, uh, you know, both from bureaucracy and political class. Swasti, I could put that question to you in terms of uh, India's debt financing, something that both you and Meera have reported on vis-a-vis Sri Lanka. Uh, My sense seems to be that uh, India seems to be in a bit of a dilemma where you do have some of India's neighbors that have been having debt-related issues, in part uh, because of loans they've taken from China. Uh, Delhi seems to be thinking on the one hand, if it does bail them out, it's doing China a favor. Uh, But then on the other hand, if it doesn't, it's probably driving them back uh, to China for greater financing. Is that a a circle that's going to be difficult to square for for Delhi? Oh, absolutely. I I think uh, that is an ongoing discussion. Uh, The story you referred to that Mira and I had reported on uh, really related to a request that had come to India from no, no less than the Prime Minister. Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapakse, when he visited Delhi in February, spoke directly to Prime Minister Modi and, uh, um, and divulged the details in an interview to the Hindu and said that I have asked for uh, a debt moratorium or a waiver of the debt repayment for at least three years. Uh, and his point was that I want India to be the first to announce this, to help Sri Lanka with its economy, uh, before I go and ask others. 
but actually what's happened in the last few months is that um, India has not responded yet with a confirmed uh, yes or no. Uh, we have been trying to track the story the day after uh, the story in the Hindu appeared about, uh, about uh, the fact that no movement had yet been reported. Actually, Indian officials and Sri Lankan officials held a meeting. Uh, but even so, uh, and now we're in November, uh, in December, actually, uh, and we still don't see a clear uh, announcement by India that it is going to waive the debt repayment uh, for Sri Lanka. Now, it may be an ad hoc arrangement that they're thinking about. We're being told by officials that one of the big problems is a bureaucratic one, uh, uh, you know, technical details of exactly how much the loan is worth. Um, but it shows you the kind of challenge that uh, anyone is up against as they promote ties between India and uh, various parts of the region. In the Maldives, a little known fact, um, we reported it, but people uh, assume that the Maldivian government is actually much closer to New Delhi today than, than the previous one was. Uh, but how many would know that not only has Maldives not actually cancelled any of its loans uh, from China, which it had, uh, which the Soleil government had come to power saying they would do, uh, but actually China has already announced a, a, a debt uh, a waiver, a repayment waiver for the Maldives as uh, as well as about seventy countries in Africa and Asia and all the rest. So we are looking at that challenge at a time when India is itself dealing with a very, very, uh, uh, you know, an economy in crisis. India has to deal with its own problems of the GDP uh, losses, I mean, of the GDP growth uh, falling. And, uh, and I think that this is always going to be a question. I asked an MEA, a very senior official once, how does India deal with this? Because eventually the problem is one of dollars and cents. It is one of should India spend all its uh, extra resources on its neighborhoods just to ensure that the neighbors stay friendly? Um, is that uh, not counterproductive? Should India reinvent the wheel that China has actually put down? If China is building roads, does it matter that India does not have a road? India should be able to use those roads or railway lines. Um, and this has been an ongoing question. And, and, and the official's answer to me was, uh, actually, the real answer is to be the un-China. Uh, and uh, and the idea that India doesn't have to do exactly what another power in the region is doing because India is irreplaceable. The ties with India are irreplaceable, as I said. There are historical ties. There is the sense that India has always had of being the the the, the uh, you know the holding force in the region, if you like. Uh, and that is what India needs to build on. But it's going to be completely um, pointless if, at the end of the day. Uh, there is the idea that your neighbors come and ask you for something and you're not able to deliver that. Um, and you're not even able to deliver an answer to it. So some of it is, of course, in uh, 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 you know what you were asking about, some of it is, of course, about India's own constraints, resource constraints, economy constraints. Some of it is actually just about uh, giving your word, keeping it, delivery, and all the rest of that. A final question uh, to you, Mira, uh, on that same note. Uh, sometimes I often hear frustration from Indian officials that the big China projects get the headlines, but some of the things India is doing quietly don't often get the attention that they perhaps uh, merit. Uh, do you think that India, being the un-China, do you think is the right way for India going forward? And looking at Sri Lanka's own example, for instance, some of the housing projects India has done, uh, how would you sort of assess uh, uh, 
uh, India's role so far? Is it is, is it a mixed picture? And uh, do these officials have a point that we sometimes focus on what China is doing, but not what India is doing? Well, in Sri Lanka's case, as you rightly mentioned, the housing scheme has been a crucial intervention, especially in the post-war North and East and also in the hill country. And uh, more recently, one of India's projects is doing phenomenally well, which is to have ambulances running in every district of Sri Lanka, along with the local health authorities. So these are really, you know, projects that touch people's lives on a daily basis. But as we always see, big infrastructure projects have, it's, it's more glamorous, it's more visible, it's tangible. So I think it's about how um, the country wants to be perceived locally and then in the media. I think there's a lot to be worked out in that. But just to add to another point Suhasini made about loans, in fact, this morning, the Ceylon Chamber of Commerce had uh, an economic summit which uh, Finance Minister Nirmala Sitharaman addressed online and President Gotabaya Rajapaksa spoke. So both sides sort of uh, emphasized this Atmanirbar or the self-reliant model that they would go for and again sought private sector investment. So President Rajapaksa has been saying we want investments, not loans anymore. And he's also pledged to sort of, um, you know, um, deal with this debt trap analysis with regard to China. He's been saying, I want to disprove that there's no debt trap. So, um, which is not really uh, impossible in Sri Lanka's extent, because much of Sri Lanka's loans are to do with international sovereign bonds and Chinese loans are uh, 10 to 12%, right, of the total borrowings that Sri Lanka has. So I think uh, Sri Lanka is also trying to uh, seek investments, but uh, both uh, uh, Minister Sita Raman and President Rajapaksa are emphasizing the private sector. I mean, it's good to hear, it's good to listen to those options, but realistically, in this sort of pandemic climate, I don't think the private sector is just waiting with a portfolio of money to go and put somewhere without knowing, you know, what the return on investment might be. So those questions remain. If before before we wind up, and I know that you are running out of time, um, one of the places where that can actually happen is in the COVID response. Uh, right. and, and the fact that India has so many uh, uh, possibilities of, of sending out medicines, of sending out people, uh, health teams, as well as uh, how they distribute the vaccine, that should really be a priority area if we are looking at the future. Right. On that note, Suhasini Haider and Meera Srinivasan, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anand. Thank, thank you. you, guys. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.